morning, Generations Church. Exodus chapter 3 is where we are today. Uh, as we begin the book of Exodus last week and we continue, uh, we've got some major themes that we want to cover in Exodus. One is how we learn about God's character through hard times. Uh, and I would say in ways that we don't typically learn about God in the easier times or in the more normal times. Um, the second thing would be how God saves us in hard times. And then finally, how we live in response to God's salvation in all times, in easy or hard. And so when I say hard times, imagine this, the setting that we're in right now with coronavirus and economy things and political seasons and racial tension, uh, states and, and areas that are still having protests and riots and struggles. The nation we live in is in a hard season. Now, I don't think it's the hardest season for any Christians on the planet, but for sure, we're struggling through this together. So Exodus feels like this very timely book that we can journey through this as Israel journeys through their hard times. As Moses leads them through, he can kind of help us to navigate through the story, the setting, the life that we're in. And so in these opening messages, these opening verse passages, excuse me, uh, we're doing some major character traits of God. Last week, we talked about God being omnipresent, all-present, present everywhere, all times, all throughout history. And today, we're going to talk about omnipotence, the all-powerful God. So here's kind of a starting idea for you. God reveals His power throughout Scripture so that we can take our minds off of our circumstances and limitations, and so that we can place our trust in Him. So God reveals His power, His character, His nature so that we might be able to take our minds off our current circumstances and place our trust and our faith and our eyes on Him. Let's pray and we will get started. God, thank you that we can gather this morning. I thank you for the church online. I thank you for the church outdoors. Lord, I thank you that we have options and opportunities to gather and worship you. Lord, these are not the optimal circumstances. These are not what many of us want but we're not the underground church in China. We're not other things, Lord. We are free to worship you. And so as we gather today, be that at home or in person here outdoors, will you be with us, Lord? Will you join with us, help us, Lord, to navigate this season, Lord, to, to learn about you, to focus on you and not on ourselves? Jesus, will you speak to us today? You are our King and our Savior you are the living word incarnate, become flesh. God be with us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So where we left off with Moses is Moses Hero of the story is on the run for murder. No, Jesus is the hero of the story. But Moses is our main character. And last week we said, listen, remind ourselves that even Moses, the one who is typically a good example, has his weaknesses. He's human. He's flawed. It's a real story about real people that really live this life. And Moses is flawed like all of us. And so Moses took things into his own hands instead of trusting in God. And so Moses then, it really did commit murder, is on the run in the desert of Midian from Egypt, from Pharaoh. And so he goes and he meets some young women. He meets their father. He finds someone that worships God, the God of the Bible, whom we're not sure that Moses actually worships, 
but this family does. And, and he marries into this family. He's had some kids. That's where we pick up the story. Now, meanwhile, Israel is being enslaved in Egypt, and they are working and being persecuted and being pushed and pressed, but their cries are going out to God. And God has said, I hear your cries. This is God's answer for Israel. In the most unlikely of characters, God's answer is Moses. That's our story for today. So verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, meaning Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So bear with me, Jesus shows up, right? So it says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So we know when it says the angel of the Lord, it is Jesus. You can check this in all of the passages. There's either an angel, some messenger, a heavenly being shows up sent by God, or the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, Jesus shows up. And now, so this is a pre-incarnate Christ. So before Christ enters into human flesh, this is him. We know that Jesus is God. That means he is not created. He is eternal. And so Jesus exists in the Old Testament. And at times we get to see glimpses of Jesus in the Old Testament. So it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now listen to how the angel of the Lord speaks. The angel of the Lord speaks as God. So it's Jesus speaking on behalf of God to Moses, right? This is either called a theophany or a Christophany. It's an appearance of God in the Old Testament, or of Jesus in the Old Testament. So, revelation of God. Here's a note for you. When we get, amazing, we get an amazing view of God's character today, God shows His holiness, His power, presence, care, and even judgment of evil. He also shows His grace towards a very flawed Moses. This is the God we worship, revealing Himself to broken humanity. This is God intervening in the life of Moses, to this point, we have no reason to believe that Moses is a follower of God. Uh, Moses is raised in Egypt. He, he knows he's a Hebrew, but he isn't raised as a Hebrew to worship God. He may or may not be, but the next thing we see him do is kill someone. So we're guessing right now Moses didn't have a real strong faith. Now he goes out and he marries into a family of faith, a family who loves the God of the Bible, who worships that God. And now that God has revealed himself to Moses. He shows up inside of a burning bush. So verse 3, it says, and Moses says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near or take your sandals off of your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. So here's the setting for our story today. This engagement between God and Moses or Jesus and Moses. There's a fire in this bush. There's this bush on fire, excuse me. And there's these flames surrounding and, and, and on fire in this bush. But the bush isn't being consumed. So it's not burning down to the ground. It's on fire yet not burning. A miracle right in front of Moses. And so it says Moses sees this and he turns to look at it. And, and from this burning bush that is burning but not being consumed, from this God speaks and he says, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And he says, don't come any closer for the, the place where you are, it is holy ground. Now, Generations Church, we're 
Uh, you have just gotten an email about our reading plan, just how we're going to read through some scripture together in our own time. Our community groups are going to pick up those themes and passages and use them uh, for our community group curriculum, focusing on life application, what it means to you in your life. And one of the things we're going to see in the midst of this over the next couple months is there is this video we're going to watch about holiness. And, and it gives this example of coming near to the sun, right? And the sun and, and all its heat and radiance, as we're not capable, our human bodies are not capable of getting close to it without being consumed. And the same idea takes place with Moses here. Moses is now in the very presence of, in a unique way, in the presence of the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And he speaks to Moses, he says, don't come any closer because where you stand is holy ground. You're in the presence of the holy God. Now contrast that with Moses, who, like you and I, is a sinful human being. So the thing that stands between holiness and humanity is sin. The gospel is that God created us and loves us, designed us, made us to be in relationship with him, but that we have sinned, that we have, that we have turned away from God and that we've gone our own way, that we have rejected God and that we have turned to go our way. The gospel goes on to, show, to tell the story of how God redeems that relationship. And that will come to fruition in Jesus. This very same, the angel of the Lord will take flesh. He will become human, fully God, yet fully human. Jesus, the son of God in human flesh. He will come and he will live the life you and I are called to live but have failed. He will die a death in our place. He will bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful humanity. And he will cause humanity to be able to enter into the holiness of God. Hold that thought for a minute. Just consider that. The very words spoken to Moses, stop where you are. Don't come any closer. The place you are is holy. If you, if you come any closer, you'll be consumed by my holiness. Like getting too close to the sun and you would be just consumed. It's the exact opposite of what is happening to this bush. This bush is on fire and yet not consumed, but Moses can't come close or he will be. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Verse 6, and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is probably the best response that Moses has, as he, he hides his face. Now imagine this. Imagine you're told, hey, stop. Stop where you are. Take your shoes off. You're in the presence of God. You are, you are nearing the presence, the holiness of God. Don't come any nearer or it will consume you. It will just take you apart. And Moses is, is hesitant and he's confronted with this. And I think many of us, maybe we have this idea of like, if I ever got to ask God a question, I would just be like, and we, we typically have this idea that we would boldly pursue this question with God. Well, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to ask God this, or I'm going to do... Everybody who gets a glimpse near the holiness of God, their response is, I, I am un Isaiah says at best, I'm undone. Like, I'm going to die because I am in the presence of God. So here's Moses. He hides his face. I just want to take this opportunity just to, 
just to stress the distinction between a holy God and a sinful and wayward and broken humanity, you and I. But remember, the gospel is the thing that that restores that relationship. The gospel is a thing that, that allows us into the presence of God because Jesus became like us so that we could be restored back to God. So Jesus become flesh so that we could become in the presence of God. So that, so that we could enter in, we could engage with this holiness. Jesus now bridges that gap. In Hebrews, it says this, since then we have a great high priest, meaning Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The gospel is this, that not only has Jesus died to forgive our sins, but to, to bring us into the presence of God. One of the very things we miss about doing church in this room together is there a, there's a sense of holiness, of community, of something special when we gather together and we sing worship and we, we pray and, and, and we open God's word together. I think we experience it home and we experience it outside, but there is something special about being with the body, being with the church. And I think it's that we all collectively get to bring this relationship, this presence of God together that we get to join together in a unique way. But we're reminded of the gospel in this story as Moses hears directly from God but must stay a little bit away. That he must remember the holiness of God because God is all-powerful, all-holy. And in this moment, Moses needs to recognize who God is. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. This is where we left off with Israel. The story out in Midian is the story of God working simultaneously over here about this. And last week, we really emphasized that. Like sometimes in our circumstances, mired in our lives, we can't see where God is moving. Or maybe we even think, hey, God, I think is asleep on the job or he's ignoring me. He's, he's not here. And we talked about the omnipresence or the all-encompassing, always-present God. That God is always present and engaging with his church, with his people. And right now, the people Israel are enslaved and their, their cries, their prayers are going up to God. God, we are being enslaved. We are being persecuted by Egypt. We are being crushed and oppressed. God, God, where are you? Hear our prayers. And God repeatedly says, I have heard their cries. Now, if you're Israel in Egypt, oppressed, being persecuted, crushed right now, you don't know what God is doing out in the desert of Midian, but God is engaged. God is moving. And now God is getting ready to act. And God is calling an unlikely servant, a man named Moses, legitimately on the run for murder from Pharaoh in Egypt for murdering an Egyptian out in the desert, on the run, on the hiding. And, and he is hearing, seeing 
The very miraculous theophany or Christophany of God, the, the presence or manifestation of God right in front of him, speaking to him, saying, don't get any closer or you'll die, but hear my voice. And Moses is caught in this moment. Israel is being rescued, though they don't know it, in this moment. Verse 10 says this, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is calling Moses to enter back into Egypt, to be his servant, his messenger, to go tell them, let the people of God go. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses says, I'm not sure you got the right guy. Like, why me? I don't, like there's so many reasons why not me, and I can't think of any that are why me. God, are you, are you sure? Imagine today as we look at the settings around us. Imagine just the, the, the chaos around us in our life. The, the virus and, the, and the, the, the impact of being distance and business and economy and all that, the ongoing racial tension and, and protests and riots, the, the political structure that is just really ramping up all the problems and solving nothing and making things worse. Imagine, just imagine in this moment, God's like, hey, so I'm going to use you, you're going to fix the problem. You're like, wait a minute, how, why me? Like, I'm not sure... I'm the guy. Verse 12, he says, but I, God says, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here goes, God says, listen, I'm going to give you a sign. Now, if I'm thinking God's going to give me a sign, what I'm looking for is something right now so I know I'm not crazy and this isn't a dream or something left over from the 80s, right? So that God is doing something is why I'm looking for a sign. Here's what it, God says, here's the sign. When you do everything I've told you to, you're going to come back here and worship me. Like in the future, after you've already trusted me, after I've already used you, after you've already liberated Israel, you're going to worship me right here. That's what God tells Moses. Oftentimes, when God reveals something to us, it's not this flashy thing right now to try and catch our attention or get us engaged. Although, to be fair, the burning bush is pretty flashy, right? Pretty engaging for Moses. Moses is hiding from it. It's a good response. But the calling is, hey, now it's your turn. Like, God, I've made a step towards you. Now it's your job to respond to me. It's your job to obey. So God promises an outcome. I'm, I'm going to bring you back to this point. You're going to worship me right here. I'm promising you an outcome. You're going to live through it. Israel's going to get out. You're going to worship me. We're going to come back here. We're going to meet back up and talk about how good it went. Here's a note for you. Our problem is us. God calls Moses to do a miraculous and God-sized task. The problem Moses has is thinking that, it's, it, that he is limited by his abilities. We do the same thing when we think we are to fix the world rather than we are to serve the God who can fix the world. You see, we get caught in this, but I don't know if I can, or I don't know if we can, or on the other side, we arrogantly think we can. But many of us, when confronted with what God really wants from us, start to backpedal and say, I'm not sure I can. Like, I don't know how to trust God right now with no job. Like, I'm, I'm struggling right now with God 
because I'm not getting together with my church family or my community groups on a Zoom meeting and it's not in a living room. Like, I, I don't know if I can, can do what God has called us to do. Really, what that is, is we're limiting ourselves by our abilities. We're not looking to the all-powerful, omnipotent or omnipotent God. All-powerful God. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What is Moses' concern here? Well, I, I think there's a few. First off, <laughs> Moses isn't really sure much about this God. Like I said, I don't think he's really even been a follower of God, a, a lover of God, a worshiper of God. But his real fear, his real human present fear, is that people won't listen to him. Moses is like, well, when I go and, and tell them, hey, the God of your fathers, the God who, who you know, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, ring a bell, this, he sent me to you. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me, right? So here's, an, again, here's another note for you. Our focus is, is critical. When we focus on our human limitations, like the virus, politics, justice, etc., the situation is desperate. But God's power makes everything possible. The God who speaks from a burning bush that isn't burned can do anything. God can send anyone. God can liberate people from anything. God can fix our situation, fix the global situation, fix our problem is we get trapped inside of our limitation. We get trapped inside of the problem. We talked about this last week, that when, we, when all we do is look around and we see our circumstances, we're overwhelmed by the things that we can't handle. We're overwhelmed by the things that afflict us. But if we can lift our eyes up above that, if we can look up above the circumstances, we can, we can see what God is doing, or we can look, lift our eyes up to God, we have that hope. We have that belief. We have that understanding that God who is revealing himself, God who is there is all-powerful, and God can do this. Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. So the question is, who do I tell him sent me? That's what Moses asked God. Like, who do I say is sending me to you? Give me a name is kind of what Moses is saying, right? So verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now in English, it reads really bumpy and kind of weird. It reads the same way in Hebrew. It reads the same way in the New Testament in Greek. I am that I am. If you have hallmarks of just kind of ringing Popeye in your ears, that's what I hear too. But there's this, there's this, this kind of the verb conjugation is just weird. The sentence structure is odd, but it's a purpose. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. Now, Jesus does this as well. Jesus in the New Testament, but it's, it's not as clear as this, but there are times, roughly eight times in the Gospel of John, where Jesus uses this unique language. In English, we tend to translate it, I am, but it's actually ego eimi, two different verbs that say, I am that I am. And what Jesus is doing when he does this is he's, he's kind of hearkening all the way back to Moses, all the way back to the burning bush. He's reminding us that's him. Like, I am. The other thing that he's doing is he's letting Judaism, Jewish leaders, know he is claiming to be the I am. The passage, uh, the, the, the things that Jesus is saying, like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the resurrection of light. 
they all have this, this duplicated, I am, I am the bread of life. So his claim and God's claim in this moment is power. I am that I am. I exist. In fact, there's going to be a contrast with all the false idols, all the false beliefs of Egypt. God will overcome them with plagues, and he will plague the very things they worship. They worship the Nile, he's going to destroy the Nile. They worship frogs, he's going to destroy them with frogs. So he's going to use their false beliefs, and he's going to show that he is, and their false beliefs are not. So let's do it this way. Here's a note for you. God's claim is power. God chooses to reveal himself as I am. It's a statement that God exists, and the, God of Egypt's are, the gods of Egypt are false, that he is power, and that their idols are powerless. We saw this, let me finish the sentence. Jesus used the same exact statement about himself in John. We'll see that in a minute. We talked about this in Isaiah just a few weeks back. When, Isaiah, when God would speak through Isaiah to the people, and he would remind them, like, listen, you, you're, you're praying to these wooden idols, but I made wood, I created, and yet you're worshiping created things. He says, so pray to your idols, see what happens. Call out to them, see if they answer. God is on reminding us, listen, those are created things. I'm the creator God. I created all those things. Jesus ties himself to this statement in the Gospel of John, uh, my, probably the most impactful one, my favorite one, John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So just pause here for a second. Before Abraham was born, I am. Right Now, if we were in an English class, we would tell our English student, hey, listen, that's the wrong form of to be, right? That you need to make that before Abraham was born, I was. But that's not God. God is now. God is present. God is eternal. God is perfected. He uses this sense of not before Abraham was born, I was. Before Abraham was born, I am. And Jesus knows what he is saying. He ties himself to this I am statement in Exodus. So much so that the very next verse says this. So the Jews picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So Jesus says, listen, before Abraham was born, I am. He is claiming to be the eternal creator, existent God. He is claiming himself to be the very God who spoke to Moses. And everyone there knows what he's saying. We read it today and miss it oftentimes. But the Jewish religious leadership that are surrounding him know what it is, and they actually pick up rocks to stone him to death. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. I am the one who is eternal and existent. I am the one. I am God back in Exodus. I am. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God reveals himself to Moses in a powerful way. He comes to him in a, in a, in a, in a revelation, in a, in, a, in a form, in a burning bush, a bush that is burning but not being burned up. And he says, this is my name forever, and I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is me I'm not going anywhere. I am God. I existed then. I exist now. I will always exist. And this is how I'm to be remembered. So here's God's purpose in Revelation. God calls Moses to act, not just believe. 
God reveals his power so that Moses will do what God says. God reveals himself to us with an expectation of our response and our obedience. God isn't just doing parlor tricks. He's not just doing a magic trick with a bush. God is revealing himself to Moses for a purpose. Moses, I'm showing you who I am. Now I need you to do what I tell you to do. I'm going to empower you. You're going to go tell Egypt, Pharaoh, release the Israelites, release God's people. I'm calling you. I'm showing you I'm capable. I'm showing you who I am. I'm revealing myself to you. God's revelation to Moses right here, right now. Moses, your response is to do what I call you to do. Do what I have prepared for you to do in advance. That you might go do that. They might come out. And then here's your sign. We're going to all worship right here. You're going to worship me, God says, right here on this mountain. Verse 16, he says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you. This is God speaking. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. Listen to what God says to them. I have observed you in Egypt. Right? We talked about God's omnipresence being always present. I have seen and been there. I've seen what Egypt is doing to you. Then he says, I will bring you up out of Egypt. That's his omnipotence, his all powers. I'm, I'm going to liberate you from that. I have the power, the ability. I'm going to take you out of that. And then listen, he says, they will, future tense, they will listen to your voice. That is God's omniscience. Next week, we'll talk about God all-knowing, knows everything, knows the future all-knowing. God's character is revealed. Again, here's a note for you. God is revealing himself through the hardships of persecution and slavery in ways that wouldn't be as recognizable in easier times of life. It is in the challenges that we are most likely to learn about God. It is in the hard seasons where we tend to press in and listen clearer and look to see where God is. In the easy times, we tend to be distracted in doing the things that we can do. In the hard times, we pray more, we listen more, we might give more, serve more, do other things, but we press into God. We should press into God. I know this has been a long season of distance. I know it's been five months or so that we've been online and then a little bit in person and back online. Now we're online and outdoors, but this has been a long time. Five months have been a long time. And I know it's hard, and I know that, it, that it kind of the, the online attendance kind of wanes after a while. It's hard to just watch it on your TV or on your screen, your tablet or your phone. And I know that's been hard on people, but remember, we're not enslaved in Egypt. We're not being oppressed and persecuted. It's just a hard season of life. But in this hard season, we can allow that to shape us, to, to allow us to look and press into God and see God in ways that we haven't seen Him in the past. We can see His power in ways we haven't seen. We can see His presence in ways we haven't seen before. It's in these challenging times. It's in the, the crucibles of life that we are forged and made nearer to God. We have the opportunity. The other opportunity is just to run and go our own way, but that will never end well. Rather, we can find and see and learn and press into God in this moment. Verse 18, it says, And they will listen to your voice. God's speaking to Moses. They will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt 
and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Listen to what God says. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So here's the plan. Moses, go tell the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the emperor of the largest nation on the planet right now, who's enslaving all these people. They're his free workforce, and it's going really well for him, really bad for them. I want you to just walk in, kind of stroll in. I know you've been on the run for murder. You're going to go in, and you're going to tell Pharaoh, here's the deal. God said, let the people go. That's the plan. But God says this, listen, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you, let you go unless he is compelled by my mighty hand. Unless I exert my power, he won't let them go. But I want you to go tell him that because I am going to reveal my power to you, to him, to Israel, even to Egypt. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and you shall plunder the Egyptians. Have you ever seen like a magician or an escape artist and they go and they do their show and they've got this contraption, some kind of thing that they're going to have to get out of this container of water they're going to be in or this thing and they light it on fire whatever they do and then there's so it's not just enough that they're going to be trapped in this thing but then they're like but i'm also going to be handcuffed my legs are going to be tied together and i'm going to light it on fire like this but wait i'm going to make it even harder i'm going to make it even crazier even bigger in a way that's what god says he says listen you're going to go in and not only is pharaoh going to let you go not only are the, are the egyptians going to release you they're going to pay you to leave. They're going to fund your trip through the desert. They're going to, as you go, you're going to be flush. Here's what I will do. Imagine, imagine you're Moses in this moment. So the people that are slaves right now that are building his cities for free, and he really likes that, he's not only just going to release them, but you're going to exert such pressure on Pharaoh that he's going to all of Egypt, they're going to pay us to go. This is the setting you're in. Now, if you're Moses and you're looking at your abilities or you're looking at your circumstances, for sure this is a challenge. For sure this is impossible. But with God, this is just another Tuesday. God says, I've got this. I'm going to send you. He's not going to say yes right away. But in that, I'm going to exert my power. I'm going to show my power, and then they're going to pay you to go. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is it in your hand? And he said, a staff. And then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Somebody, uh, I, most of you know, I'm, I'm helping out at Valley Christian High School. I'm teaching their Bible course to their seniors. And one of, the, one of the students asked me, do you think God has a humor? Does, do you think God has a sense of humor? What's in your hand, Moses? It's a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, becomes a snake, and Moses takes off and runs from it. Yes, I think God has a sense of humor. He puts up with us. He's got to have a sense of humor, right? 
Verse 4, but Lord said, the Lord said to Moses, put your hand, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Right? God's power, Moses' response. That's how it's supposed to work. God is the power. God has the ability. God is able. We respond. Picks it up, becomes a staff again. It's God's power. Moses is being obedient to God. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you again. The Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And then when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. And he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign that they may believe the latter sign, if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Here's what's going on. God is telling Moses, Moses, your ultimate goal is to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let the Israelites go. Let, my, let, let the people who worship God go and worship their God. Release them. And Moses says, that'll probably never happen. God says, no, I'm going to make that happen. Moses says, I'm not even sure the Israelites are going to believe that you told me this. He said, you're going you're to go, and you're going to go and show the Israelites. And if they don't believe you, what you're going to do is you're going to throw your staff on the ground. You become a snake. You're going to grab it, pick it up, so you become a staff again. You're going to go and you put your hand in, and it's going to become leprous. And throughout these things, these people are going to come to believe you. They're going to know, okay, this isn't Moses. This is God. And the Israelites are going to come to believe him. And, and then eventually the Egyptians are going to believe. And then eventually Pharaoh's going to get broken down through the plagues. And they're going to pay the Israelites to leave. God reveals that he is powerful. Moses is able to do miraculous things. God reveals he is all powerful. And Moses does more miraculous things. This isn't Moses. This is God. That's where we need to find ourselves in the story. It's not us, it's God. When we live in these hard times, God isn't saying you need more power, you need more strength. He's saying, listen, you need more of me. You need to surrender to me. It's my power. I can fix the virus, the economy, race. I can fix the whole situation. I even think maybe with all power and all that God has, maybe might even be able to fix politics. Maybe. As long as people are still involved, I know it'll still be tough. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past, since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Basically, Moses says, but I stutter. I don't talk well. I'm not good at this. I don't speak very eloquently. God says, okay, you know, we had a good thing going here. Like I showed you my power. You responded. It went really well. Now we're back at what you can do. This is the problem, right? Moses is, is trapped, like we get trapped inside circumstances, limitations in our skills and ability. Last week we talked about when we look at the circumstance around us, the human condition around us, we look at that and we feel like, okay, this is not fixable. There's no way to do this. And then we tend to take things in our own hands and we go fight through it and it gets worse. Today we're talking about looking internally and saying, okay, I'm not big enough for this job. And God's saying, that's good. You're right. You're not. I am. I am. I am. That I am. I am enough. 
I am the eternally existent God who is all-powerful, and I can do this. I want your obedience, not your strengths. I want to empower you to do things you can't do. I want to use you for my glory, for my fame. That way, when they see this, they know it's me, not you. It's like this church. If, 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 we, if we do well, if anything goes well, I want it to be known. I want it to be visible that it's God, it's not me. Because at the end of the day, I'm not that good. At the end of the day, I feel like Moses. Like, God, I think you have the wrong guy. Like, God, do you remember my story? I'm not sure why I'm here. It's to make God look good, not me. This is God's church. This is what Jesus does, not what I do. This is what God does, not what Moses does. So I want to give you some application today. Here's the first one. I want to ask you this question, two questions today. First one, how many times have we said no to God because we were looking at what was possible by us, in our strength, rather than what God can do? How many times have we, whether it's a, a, a actually saying no to God or just not doing what God really wants from us, how many times have we turned away because we looked at the circumstances and we said, okay, I don't think I can do this. Not, hey, man, I think God can use me for this. I'm not good enough, but hey, God can do it. Rather, we say, okay, I don't think I've got the skill set. I don't think I've got the ability. I don't think I have the time. I don't think I have the energy. I don't think I can do this. And so we just either outright say no or just wander away. How many times have we missed what God wanted to do in and through us and for others because we, we saw only our limitations and not God's strengths? Verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, who has made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Here's God revealed like direct revelation. God revealing himself to Moses in a burning bush that is not on fire. It's on fire, not being consumed. Excuse me. Here's this thing, and he's speaking from this bush. The bush is talking. It's God. He's speaking to Moses. They've done these crazy things with a staff in his hand, and God has revealed the power. And all the way on the other end of this, here's what Moses says. He says, can you just please send someone else? Application question number two. God reveals himself to us as creator and sustainer of life. If God can create, sorry about the typo, if God can create humanity from nothing, how can we not trust God to empower us for anything, for everything? If God created the very breath we breathe, how can God not use us to say those words to someone else in a way that God will use to transform lives? How, if God created everything, can he not use even the most broken of people? to accomplish his will. Verse 14, we'll wrap up with this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. I love that line. It's like, hey, that guy never stops talking. He'll do fine, right? Where's your brother Aaron? Behold, he is coming out to meet you. I love that God says, listen, he's on the way already because I kind of knew we're going to get here. He's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. He will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth that I will be with your mouth and with his, with his mouth, 
and teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. In other words, I'm going to speak to you, Moses. I'm still calling you out. Moses, still, I believe in you. You're kind of irritating me right now by saying, can you please send somebody else? But still, I'm going to use your brother. I'm going to send your brother with you. I'm going to speak to you. You're going to speak to your brother. Brother, you're going to speak to the people. And this is how we're going to do it. Moses, I can do this. Moses, will you remain a part of this? We'll add in Aaron. We didn't have to. We didn't need Aaron. All you need is God. I want to kind of close with kind of a, a, just a challenge to all of us. The omnipotent God. Moses fails in his weakness, and yet God graciously allows Moses to participate in his work anyways. God ultimately empowers Aaron to speak and empowers Moses to lead. God can empower anyone for anything, so why miss out on what God wants to use us for? Why miss out on God using us? Why miss that moment where God can empower us and do amazing things through you and I? So that we can reach the world with his love, with his gospel, with his message. So that we can be the impact and the change that we desire in the world. Why miss out? God can use anyone. He wants to use you and me. He wants to use us. He'll add people in if we have to, but God can do anything through anyone. Why would we miss out? Generations Church, we are here for a reason. We are, we are in this place, in this moment, in this time, in this season for a reason. And God desires to use us in this moment. He desires to use us at distance. He desires to use us together. He desires to use us not only around the virus, but around racism, around justice, around economy, you name it. God wants us as his church to be engaged. Jesus is calling us to engage the world around us. But we must not do it in our own strength. And we must not believe that our limitations stop it. Because God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God desires to use you and I that we might impact the world. Generations Church, will you pray with me? God, as we gather today, as we meet online and together outdoors, I pray that you would reveal yourself more and more to us. Let us see more and more of you. Let us experience your power more and more. It doesn't have to be in flashy, crazy ways like a staff becoming a snake, but God, God, would you change our lives? Would you be the miracle inside of us? Would you heal the sick? Would you heal those that are wounded in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives? Would you, would you heal those who are broken and, and need healing in their bodies? Will you give the weak the strength to be your people? God, will you do the miracle of restoring relationships, transforming lives, the everyday miracles we need so much? Jesus, you are God who changes us. You are new life. You are the resurrection. Jesus, will you transform us? May we be the people you have created and designed us to be. May we be the people that you lived and you died and you rose again for, that we might be reconciled to the holiness of God and be in the presence of God day in, day out. God, will you do that for us? Jesus, will you be that in us? Holy Spirit, will you transform us? We pray all these things. In the name of our Savior who brought us into holiness with, with strength and comfort, knowing we can be in the holiness of God now because of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.